When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. have to work on that that's a bit of a an abrupt ending to such a great tune from our friends at cylinder um you know need to get those guys back on here hopefully when we can get uh nick and uh shane or you know uh one of the other guys but uh good evening everybody my name is colin livingston welcome back to another episode of talk and torque um been a very very eventful couple of weeks took last week off did a little vacation trip down to the states uh, World of Racing was an absolute shit show, uh, thanks to the race in Vegas. Um, you know, for anyone who didn't pay attention, uh, they got seven to nine minutes into first practice after all the hype and all the grandstanding and posturing. And uh, before uh, the cars even got up to speed, they... Uh, they had to shut down the entire uh, FP1 because Carlos Sainz's car uh, hit a uh, water cover, destroyed his monocoque. That is not his genitalia. That is the part of the car where he actually sits. Destroyed the engine, um, destroyed the battery. Because they were at the end of the year, they they didn't have any more allotment at Ferrari, were, were served a 10-place grid penalty. It wasn't bad enough that their driver, you know, was was knocked up a little bit uh, that they have millions and millions of dollars of repairs, uh, but they actually had a 10 place grid penalty. Um, you know, they had to miss all the second practice as did all the fans because uh, the race, the, the, the schedule went so late that they didn't have security people uh, left on staff past 2 AM. So all the fans who had tickets, you know, the Thursday only tickets, Got to see seven minutes of on-track activity, which is completely uh, unacceptable. Um, and and F1, in their infinite wisdom, didn't apologize, didn't give a credit or um, a voucher to to come back next year. You know, for the people who only had the chance to do a one day um, one day's worth of racing, they came back and said, "Here's a two hundred dollar voucher." Which, if you've ever been to an F1 race, get you the equivalent of about a keychain and a and a ball cap is is what you could get for 200 bucks uh really uh, the race i i wasn't all that impressed with it um they there was some passing it was great to see someone drive around a, a red bull for one of the first times this year uh when charles leclerc uh, you know made the pass but um yeah really questionable driving by verstappen again driving leclerc off the track on the opening lap 
the Verstappen maneuver, which you know resulted in a five second penalty, which when you can basically drive a second and a second a lap faster than the next closest car is not exactly a penalty. Um, but hopefully we see something decent this weekend in Abu Dhabi, last race of the year. Uh, but as I say, almost every week, you don't really want to be listening to me flap my yap. I have got a uh, another really good friend here. Uh, last week we had my friend Shay. Uh, this is another uh, very close friend of mine. I've uh, been trying to get this guy on for quite some time. Um, I think he's got one of the coolest behind-the-scenes stories that... Uh, that I've ever seen. Um, we'll get into we'll get into where he comes from. I honestly don't remember how he got into what he's doing from where he came from because I've actually been to his his hometown and I I mean I thought I came from a small town, but he's got me beat by about uh, I don't know five thousand people, and I came from a town of fifty two hundred. But uh, bring into the the mix here, uh, good friend, president, and CEO, which is one of my favorite titles in the entire world, of Exodoc and Avalon Global eBusiness Solutions, which they probably don't call themselves that anymore. Mr. Jody Stafford, how are you doing, Jody? Mr. Livingston, fantastic. How are you doing? You know, it's another day in paradise. I appreciate you asking. Yeah, I do. (laughs) That's a fantastic start. Um, You, I don't know which part I want to focus on first. Um, I'm going to go back 23 years. Now that's not where you got your start, but that's when I first met you. Do you remember the, the set of circumstances that kind of crossed our paths together? I remember we were at, uh, a chamber of commerce and spruce grove function of some sort. I think it might have been at that Mike's bar in behind the McDonald's there in Spruce Grove. Rest in peace. Yep. I don't remember the uh, exact circumstances, although I'm guessing alcohol may have been involved. Actually, I don't remember it to be involved. This was um, back in the olden days in the in Spruce Grove. There was a uh, I want to say it was a monthly luncheon where members would um, get together at a destination. So in this case, it was Mike Sports Bar. Sometimes it was at the the restaurant in the uh, Tri-Leisure Center. Sometimes it was somewhere else, a hotel. Um, and there was, uh, you know, at the end of the, the deal, somebody would be a speaker. So a couple of people from the Chamber of Commerce would speak, and then there'd be like a... Uh, Featured speaker, either an MLA, an MP. Uh, Did you have a pink tie, perhaps? Not that day. That was that was a couple of years later. Um, but uh, at the end of the event, then there was networking, where you know everyone got to got to say hello and you know, hi, I'm you know Johnny Fuckface, and I'm involved in you know use toilet paper, and you know what do you do? Blah 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 blah. And you and I were about the same age. We were, I think, about probably on average about 15 years younger than the average of the people that were there. So it was kind of a natural thing to go say hello. And um, you, we figured out really quickly that even though we had never met, we were actually working together because at that point in time, that exact point in time, 
we were having our first website built and I was talking to a mutual friend of ours who arranged somehow to get in touch with you. You and I didn't know each other, but we both knew this guy. And um, you said, wait, Cantor, like um, I'm actually building your website. It's like, oh yeah, no shit. And, um, and then as I reminded you here a little bit ago, then you said something pretty stupid. We, we kind of got into this, that, and the other thing and about, you know, well, what do you do? And I think I was talking about golf and you said, well, I like to, to do uh, home repairs. Like, oh yeah. And I was in the middle of um, renovating and building my basement. Well, I didn't say I like to do it. I said oh, I was said, doing it. No, you said you like doing it. I said, and I even, I asked like three times. I'm like, wait a second. You actually enjoy doing drywall? You're like, oh yeah, there's nothing wrong with drywall. I'm like, okay. I said, do you work for beer? Like, I think you're remembering uh, this. Perhaps not exactly how it happened. I do recall <laughs> the circumstances that evolved from this, which was about what three days later I was in your house helping you do some drywall or some bingo, and and that's where it started. And uh, there have been like three more adventures since then. Um, most of which, I mean, I'm I'm happy to talk about anything. I'm an open book, but uh, you might not want to share all of the details of some of the places we've been and some of the things that we've done. Not because they're illegal or immoral, but they're maybe a little bit <laughs> embarrassing. But um, no, that's where it well, started. The good part is we were both there, so we both have the same amount of shit on each other. So that's kind of good. Yes, this is very true. Um, hey, I've got... I've. You know, I'm thinking of your embarrassing days. I'm not thinking about my embarrassing days. So <laughs> I'm not looking to get, I'm not looking to throw anyone under the bus, but there've been a couple of, there've been a couple of things that have happened over the last 23 years. Yeah, we've had some good times. Um, but that's where it started. And you, you actually built the first ever Cantork. And I mean, just not just the first, I mean, you built every Cantork.com until you offloaded that part of your business. Yeah. So that's going back quite a while, isn't it? So that was, we moved out to Spruce Grove from Saskatoon in 2001, January of 2001. And we must've met within a month of that. Yep. Oh yeah. Because when, when I first met you and Dana, you guys were still eating at the, the Chinese food buffet that was uh, that was uh, over by Jack's. And it was like, whoa, 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 nobody eats there. We got to get you guys into the, the right restaurants here before you guys have an issue. Yeah, we were certainly the new guys in town. <laughs> yes, you were. Um, and you you guys moved out of Dalmany. Yeah, that was the last place we were, just outside of Saskatoon. Yeah, I think of that place. Small town time. that was like maybe at the time there was maybe fifteen hundred people there. Well, that was and, a big town compared to where I came from. That's true, and we're going to get to that. But I I see the Dalmany sign every time I drive to Saskatoon. It's like kind of the last thing that I see on the highway before we get into town. You know, w- whether I'm going out there for NASCAR, or going out there for go karts. So. Um, I think I actually went, no, I've never actually been, I, I came close to there. I took, uh, I took a cutoff around Saskatoon once where um, I had to go out to Martinsville. That's where the go-kart track is there. Oh so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I came Mars close. Side. I don't think I actually made it into Dalmany, but um, one of these days. 
I'd say you're probably not missing much, but then again, you've been to Grunland, Saskatchewan, so. Well, now you're taking, you're, you're starting to like, you're reading ahead in the script here. That's kind of impressive. You come from a town called Gronlid, Saskatchewan. Now the closest major town, if you can call it that, is Melfort. What yeah. do you guys, or what did you guys do in Gronlid? In Gronlid, not much. Bar, bank, gas station, and a school. And that's about it. Yes. Like there were maybe 150, 200 people that lived there. Farming community. So it was all farm kids, which was entertaining in itself. You know, you'd see uh, any given day, there might be two or three tractors parked out in front of the school for people that just uh, brought the tractor in when they didn't have a driver's license, stuff like that. Yeah. Once you get your license, I mean, you get your license oh, taken oh, away, you can still get on the tractor, right? Exactly right. Well, I don't think people even had kids didn't have licenses then anyways. I mean, they'd be driving the driving the tractor to school when they were 12, so yeah, there'd be three tractors in front of the school, but there'd be 12 in front of the bear's den. Yes. Oh yes, the bear's den, we can't forget about that either. Yeah, it was good. I mean, it was good. It was uh you know, it's farm kids, right? So it, it was kind of like any Alberta small town same kind of thing, you know. You uh Lots of drinking, fighting, hockey, and uh, that's about it. Oh, and we did have a ski hill close by too, so that was kind of that was kind of good. I've I've been to said ski hill, um, but yes, you have. Now your family was involved in farming. Yes, we were. Now you you're very proud to say organic farming, even back in the early days. Yes, we were. Now, how does a kid from a town of two hundred and fifty who is raised on the farm end up in like a very, you know, I mean the, the, the businesses that you've you've run have all been tech based. They're either, you know, internet or now it's more it and um, you know, and, and like uh, file security and all the, you know, whatever the hell we'll get into what the new company does, but how exactly does that transition happen? Well, I wouldn't say it was entirely a transition because for whatever reason, from the time I was just a young kid, I was kind of uh, drawn to computers. I don't know. Like we had the first, I, I begged my dad to buy this. Like we couldn't afford the uh, the Apple II C computer. So he bought this thing called a Franklin. It was kind of like a, a knockoff computer that we got. It was a clone. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, I was banging on that thing when I was just a little kid and I, I don't know why I liked it. I just always did. But that continued all the way through school. I, I, I always liked the computers and kind of had the, uh, I don't know, it was just like a, just a draw towards it or whatever. I liked doing it. It, it wasn't, didn't feel like uh, sitting on the tractor, which was kind of good. So, yeah, had it all the time, right from the time I was a kid. So then what, what exactly, like, I don't want to mention, you know, things that aren't mentionable, but somehow you left Gronlid, you ended up working with a company that was, uh, you know, a tech company. Like, how did, like, where, okay, yeah, where, yeah. where, where, where was that? Yeah. Like, Cause you don't just get on the tractor one day and say, you know, Paul, um, I got a tech company. 
I got I got my hobo stick. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take me the tractor. I'm gonna go down to Saskatoon, and it was uh, almost like that. I'll I'll have the tractor back for you in like two to three weeks. Yeah, two to three months. Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, yeah, th- there there were some missing pieces there for sure to get from A to B. But the uh, <laughs> yeah, how's for you? Uh, you? I went from. Uh, Okay, so I left the farm. I went and worked in Saskatoon for a little bit. Uh, the only job I had two jobs. One job was in construction, and it was a, it was working with a guy from Gromlet who had moved to the big city of Saskatoon, and he had a maid. He had like twelve rental houses, and he ran this construction company. Well, even back then, you were leveraging uh, networking. Yes, of course. So he, uh, yeah, I worked with him on and off for a couple of years doing contracting construction stuff and uh, renos, just kind of basic stuff. We didn't like get into home building. It was all kind of reno based stuff. Uh, so yeah, I worked with him for a little bit. Then I wor- went and worked for uh, an agriculture dealer where they would hire the farm kids. And actually, no, why I went to Saskatoon in the first place, I forgot about that. I started in engineering. So I did start in school. I had decent enough grades and was smart enough that I could actually go to school if I wanted to, but uh, that was short-lived because we were, I was less than a year in, and then we had a surprise visitor (laughs) in the form of our first daughter, Danielle, who's like 28 now. So that's why we went to Saskatoon in the first place, was uh, to go to school. And then I worked with this other guy for quite some time. And then uh, Baby comes along, and that was uh, then I had to get a job outside of that, quit school, went to this place that they hired all the farm kids to put together the farm equipment. It's owned by New Holland now. It's uh, it's called Fluxy Coil at the time. And I worked there on and off for about two years. So that's that's what I ended up in Saskatoon. But again, the tech geek just kept coming back. So for whatever reason, I decided I needed to build a computer for home. Found a supplier, found a, well, yeah, I guess sort of a way to build them and ship them. Had some friend of, or a cousin of of my wife's that would, he was kind of the geeky guy. So he was like, yeah, I know how to put those together. I can, whatever he knew, all like how to put the motherboards and the power supply, put everything together. I'm like, okay, well, we're in the computer business now. So we just, just like Steve Jobs and Waz. Uh, yeah, we kind of went from. Uh, well, I mean, I don't. I I wouldn't say we had any business starting a business, or I had no business starting a business. But I figured, you know what? I if I if we can make a computer and it works, and we should surely be able to sell them to other people. So yeah, that was the first company uh, that we started ever. You had no business doing it, but you didn't know you didn't have any business doing it. Ain't that the truth? And it's amazing what a person can do when you don't know that they can't do it. That is absolutely true. So what was that business called? That business was called VirtuTech Canada. VirtuTech. It started off, yeah, that was in Saskatoon. And we started building computers, sold them to friends, family, and then... uh, I decided, well, we should probably be selling to businesses. So I started going to some odd businesses here and there, just networking, meeting people. And uh, 
yeah, we started selling them into businesses. And then that was like 90, that had been like 95, 96. So like Windows, the first real Windows was just a thing, like Windows 95, the internet and everything else. So we had people asking us in 1995 or six if we could do websites because that was just becoming a thing. So we integrated that in with the computer part of it. And uh, yeah, that's what led to the partnership with the company in, in Saskatoon and getting involved with uh, a bit of a, a bit of a character, I guess you could say. You know some of the story. I won't go into too many details, but uh, I'll just, I, I'm not even sure how far to go there, but it you didn't turn out well. Want. Go as far as the, you want uh, because we, there, there's a number of, um, I can't even remember. Oh, yeah, it came off of his own website where we we still make references to this day of, you know, some of that individual's personal interests. Which may or may not include ballroom dancing. Correct. And it seems like everyone, like, I mean, and you did this for a long time too, where you you kind of have a picture that makes you look a lot wealthier than what you really are. So on his website, under his bio, you can see him leaning up against an airplane that makes it look like he's got this great twin engine, um, you know, variable speed prop, like a five hundred, six hundred thousand $600,000. And then it turns out that the story is, and I, I'm not quoting the details of the story because I honestly don't remember, but it's like, I was with him that day he saw that plane when we were at the airport. He ran over, asked me to take his picture, and that's kind of where it came from. That's not exactly what happened, but that was the gist from what I remember. It was kind of like that, but I mean, he was also 20-some years older than me, so he had been in business for a while. I was like 22 or whatever I was at the time, 22. Yeah, probably about that. So, I mean, I had no no idea what I was doing, but he's like, you know, he looks all legit. He's got fancy office and but wow, look at this. I mean, come on, man. That's oh, just... I mean, it was it was it was pretty legit. It was an innovation place in in uh, U of S campus, which is like where all the tech stuff happens. So yeah, I uh, they they called me and said, "Oh, we see you guys are doing websites and hardware and whatever." So yeah, I kind of went from that, and they were doing programming. They had uh, done some development and some web application development already, which was really unheard of in that time. Um, so yeah, we took that, made it into something, and then uh, as it was really, really growing, it started to fall apart because of some other circumstances that were going on in his life. And uh, yeah, I mean, after he, that, he, I kinda... he really had a ballroom dancing addiction, and you know, all that money, that yeah, that's coming, all that web money, got filtered yeah. into like dance shoes and like fancy outfits, and you know, like special shoelaces and. Like, oh, it was yeah, yeah. shoe polish and whatnot. Oh, yeah. dance polish. That's Nothing what you... the best. Well, it was interesting, though, because, you know, he, uh, he, yeah, I'll just say he had his vices for sure, but he also, uh, it was quite interesting because even though he did, we, we built that company to the point where, like, I came from the farm, right? I, even to go to school and stuff, it was, I was working to try and just to pay the tuition and, and get stuff going. I had a, remember I got my first credit card when I was like 18, walking to the bank and they're like, oh, do you want a credit card? Like, what's a credit card? Literally. Yeah. I'm like 18. I have no idea what a credit card is. 
well, just you just sign up here and we'll give you four thousand dollars. I'm like, hell yes, I mean, yeah. <laughs> hell, I thought you needed money. It was spent, yeah, it was spent that probably within a week, and from that point on, it was always sitting at four thousand dollars, and I'd pay it off about every three or four months, and by pay it off, I man, I'd make the minimum payments, yeah, about every third or fourth quarter, yeah. So yeah, I mean, we come from pretty humble beginnings, I'd have to say, but working with that with that guy and partnering up with them. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no, I had no shares in the company. I had no anything. I didn't know that. I thought I was just a partner because that's just how it works. Right. I didn't know anything at the time. And uh, yeah, as it turned out, it was actually probably good that I didn't really have any legitimate association with the company. Cause then you weren't <laughs> legally responsible for anything that happened. Exactly. Yeah. But what was funny is, you know, we built that company to a point and, I built the uh, the distribution part of it because, like, I met a bunch of people and I knew people from all over the place. So I, uh, you know, I made that into kind of a that was my part of the company, right? He would work on developing the tech and uh, the programmers and stuff, and I did the distribution. So we set up distributors in we had like seven seven of the major cities in Canada. We had somebody. We sold the territories. And then we were selling the tech. So it was kind of like uh, like Microsoft. If you take like Microsoft Office Online, we had a really early version of that. So we'd do like contact management and it had a content management system for, for uh, building a website built in. So like in 96 or whatever, this was crazy advanced technology. Now it's free almost everywhere. But yeah, we were selling that, signing up businesses. It would help them build their website and then integrate their email and send out email lists and all, all kinds of stuff that's super common right now, but it wasn't at the time. So we had sold all the regions and I had it set up so that every new business that came in, I was getting a percentage of them. So I remember at the time, I still remember the number because I remember we had, we had moved out. I kept that region for myself, in Northern Alberta, because my wife's mom lives in Edmonton. So we decided foolishly to come here instead of somewhere warmer. But, you know, you you do what you do for your wife, I guess. And uh, I used to. <laughs> True story. So, yeah, we, uh, we, we moved up here. And I still remember because that was when we were first talking. And I'm like, how's business? Or like, what do you do? Whatever. We got talking about money. I was like, and I remember the number because the first couple of months, just before that, I was making like 20, 25,000 bucks a month. And when I was a kid, I'm like, I'm, not, I'm only like 20, 20 years, 22 years old or whatever. And like, holy shit, like we made it, you know, like we're, this is like, so we got about maybe three or four months of that before the shit hit the fan with, with how he was running the company and some of his other shit. So after that, it, it was pretty much, uh, I had to pick up the pieces. Uh, any commitments that I had made, we had to keep them uh, without without them. So I got another programmer, got another designer and developers and kind of kept everything going. So all that money that I had brought in thinking I was I had made it went right out the door again, paying for uh, the work that people had paid him for, but hadn't been done. Well, and I, I distinctly thing. remember when you said like you told me that number like early in the early days. And my jaw hit the ground. Like I, that was a number that was not possible. Like that was an impossible amount of money to make in a month. Like 
my salary at that particular time, because I, well, my last, I, by the time we met, I was on my own. So I had no salary, but my last salary that I had was $45,000 a year. And then I had a small commission and a small this and a small that of which most of it I got screwed out of. But hearing like, as I was starting the business, like, and like my, my whole objective was that I hoped that my son, who was a year old at the time, didn't have to miss a meal, that we'd be able to buy clothes once in a while, and that I didn't miss a mortgage payment. That was my entire, that was the, if I could hit that, I knew I'd be successful. Like that was success. That was as good as it gets. And then hearing like these five figure monthly numbers in the year 2001 was like, okay, maybe there's something else out there. Like there might actually be a little bit more. And I mean, I won't say we've had single orders that are six figures that, you know, we can make, you know, we, we can make hundred, like hundred, two hundred thousand $200,000 on a single order. It doesn't happen very often. And there's a lot that goes into that, but it kind of showed like, okay, wait, there's maybe another way, you know, and, and to, to look at it. I mean, I, I, I will never forget that for sure. But then you got into, you'd already moved out here. You had started networking, but you kind of had the same mindset that I had that once things kind of went sideways, like I got fired, but you, you were more of a contract guy. You had already built all the relationships. You figured out how these systems work. You knew how to, you know, kind of build them. You kind of did what I did and said, well, if I can make money for this guy, why can't I do it for myself? Yeah, that was pretty much it. So that like I went from that being what I thought was partnered with in that company, but not really partnered. I mean, I was I didn't care as long as the money was coming in. What did I give a shit whether it was how the company was structured? I didn't even know how a company could be structured at the time. Right. I mean, that's all stuff you learn as you go. But uh, the the funny part was we went from making zero dollars to making a little bit of money and just scraping by and then having a kid and same thing like. How do you, you're just worried about feeding the, feeding the kid and keeping, you know, keeping the, the rent paid at the time. That was pretty much it to a year and a half or two years later, making like that kind of money. And that, like I said, it, it, you know, it ramped up over a course of maybe six, eight months or whatever, but really we had maybe two or three months that were like that, that were over 20 K and uh, within it. I mean, as that that situation kind of fell apart with him, the money stopped. I had to make good on the stuff that I had committed because I'm out selling jobs and we're doing web development stuff and programming, database development, stuff like that, right? So I had collected money from customers that had gone back to the headquarters in Saskatoon and the staff weren't getting paid. And then I found out a few months in. So from that point forward, all that money that I thought I had was pretty much out the window hiring another programmer and like I said, yep. designer programmer and all that stuff to, to finish those jobs off. But I did that under my own banner then because that company was, couldn't be involved at that point. So yeah, that was kind of the start of the, the first company. But that was also a great lesson. And, you know, that's another thing that successful people have in spades is, you know, 
the opera, like, I mean, it's, it's posted all over the place, but the ability to go from crisis to crisis without losing momentum or enthusiasm, like you just kind of dust yourself off, you try and learn from your mistake and then you just keep going. Like the only thing I've ever known how to do is get up in the morning, put on my jeans and put one foot in front of the other. And I, you know, I know that you have that as well. Yeah, that's really all you can do, right? And I can't say that I've maintained the momentum, that's for sure, because there's times where, you know, you don't know where you, I, I mean, I was five years into business and and thinking like, what the hell have I done? Like the overhead we're carrying at the time, the amount of, the amount of uh, revenue we have that if it wasn't like everything was just ticking, we were, we were on the verge at all times of, of pretty much bankruptcy, like barely making payroll. And that was like, a good five years in. Yeah. So I wouldn't say I've, I certainly haven't maintained momentum, but I haven't quit. But you didn't, but you didn't stop. Like, yeah, there's highs and lows in business, but it's not like when shit started hitting the fan, you curled up in a ball and just kind of waited for the world to take over. Like you just keep going and you keep going and you keep trying a new thing. And you know, like you just don't stop. Yeah. I mean, what else can you do? Right. It's like, you screw up, you learn from the mistake, you get better, and you go out and do something else or do it again or do whatever you got to do in, in a different format. And we've done that a bunch of times. You know, the company started off, like I said, we were computers and then it was website design. And then we were into the database development and web um, web application development, uh, database stuff. So that was in that partnership. And then we got into uh we we did that for quite a long time, but with that we did website hosting and uh, email hosting and set up that kind of stuff. All always all tech related. We sold that company. And we what we've done is we've sold the revenue of the company and then used the same company and done something different, which I've done twice now. Uh, so yeah, it's it's always been in that in that vein. But man, it's yeah, it's definitely got its ups and downs, and it's it's not a. It's not a ride for the the faint of heart, that's for sure. I keep talking about, uh, you know, like, how, how's it going? It's like, oh, well, we just had another dump truck full of money, you know, pull up to the front door and just, you know, we're shoveling it into the shop right now. We're not really quite, we're not really quite sure what we're going to do with it. Like people, you know, obviously right now, there's so much, so much acrimony between, you know, the the general public business owners and the ultra wealthy that you know people seem to think that every business owner in the world was given something what you know you the only way you have success is by taking it from someone it's like you know when i talk about this a lot on this on this podcast and like people just don't know what you give up you know i don't know how many times i've had to put like like especially right now we're like Right now, we are very busy. We are generating tons of revenue. But the issue we've got is that, you know, companies are very, very slow to pay. And as my father-in-law taught me, you're just giving the stuff away until the money's in the bank. And I don't know how many times I've been, like, on the precipice of a, of disaster, as you keep talking about, like, where I've had to, like, move personal money from, like, my emergency line of credit just to make sure that we've got payroll covered. We've got a profit of this much money last month or this month or this month or this month, but we're still waiting for the money to come in from four months ago. Like, it's it's crazy how much you have to sacrifice and how 
how much commitment, like if you miss that, your employees say, we're out of here. Like we'll go find something else that nobody's going to stick around. So to keep everything going for any amount of time, I mean, every one of these, these businesses is, is truly a miracle, but along the way, I want to get back to more, more fun. And I, I'll leave it to you to tell the story. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about, but along the way you've had, you know, especially in the website, uh, days, you know, someone will come to you and say, Hey, I want to build a website for my book. And you've had a couple of authors of particular note that have either had some, some unbelievable, uh, concept or, um, some very interesting content within their, within their, uh, their, their novels. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that's true. I know the two you're referencing in particular that were both authors. <laughs> but you know what happens when you're when you're getting going, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You kind of can't say no. You got to do whatever it is that that needs to be done. Some money comes along, you figure out a way to make it work. I mean, if it's ethical and I mean obviously you're not going to do shit that you don't agree with, but like so yeah, I had this one guy that wrote a book which was really funny, but he turned out and like I said, this is early days, right? So like now I have the uh, the luxury of like we pick and choose our clients. We're not even in that industry anymore. But um, yeah, this guy was like, uh, yeah, I want you to come over to my house because uh, I wrote this book. I'm like, okay, well that's that's kind of cool. But he's like, yeah, I need I need a like a way to market it. We need a website. We need a brand on it and all that. And I'm like, okay, he didn't say brand because he didn't know what it was. And, but I showed up at the guy's house and. I mean, it wouldn't have surprised me if he had people in the basement against their will. Like, I'm not talking about like having a having a good time, but he, he was a bit of a creepy dude, and he had written this book that was, uh, I think it was like his interpretation of the Bible. <laughs> Colin Colin had the uh, the pleasure of I think reading a little bit of it, uh, as did I. I'll never. I don't think the book ever actually that. got released. I don't, I won't release the title cause I don't want to chuck the guy under the bus, but there's an episode. Did you ever watch breaking bad or better call call Saul? Cause now that you're talking about it, there's actually an episode of better call Saul. So you didn't see it. So I got to actually frame it, but for anyone who's seen better call Saul in the early seasons, as Saul's kind of developing um, into a lawyer and, you know, branching out or he finally leaves. Um, sorry, my ears are super itchy when I wear these stupid headphones, but it's the only way for me to do it. Um, he's branching out on his own. He's starting his own firm and he's trying to take any business that he can. And he gets this, this, uh, tycoon, uh, calls him out. He's driving this, like he drives this complete piece of shit. You and I have never driven a car this bad in our entire life. So it's this yellow, um, rusted out barely starts barely runs car and he pulls onto the like he's from uh, new mexico and he pulls onto this guy's ranch like gated like massive house guest house big mansion and um he's like he's telling him about his idea and and what he wants you know saul to do as his lawyer as his corporate lawyer and blah 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 and he's like and what i want to do he's like i basically he's talking about how he wants to secede from the 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 union and he wants to start his own country and you know because 
you know, he wants the ability to, you know, I don't know, shoot babies in the face or whatever his, his whole thing is. And he's like, and, and to, to keep you on, I know you're, I know you're my guy and I know you're the way you think the way that I think. And I want to put you on a million dollar retainer. And he's like, is that okay? And he's like, Saul's kind of like, you know, that's, that's probably a good place to start. He's like, is cash. Okay. It's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can make cash work. He's like, hold on a second. So he goes, he opens up the safe and he puts a bunch of money in a, in a bag and so I'll take a look at it and it's his own currency. He's got the guy's faces on the money. Uh, that sounds like your guy. That is uh yeah, that would be certainly something that this guy would have been capable of. Yeah. And yeah. then, Oh so, yeah. And then, then we had the, the cartoonist who, who had, uh, I, I don't know. Even, I, I, I don't follow the logic. I don't know what style of cartoonery that might've been, but, it was it was it was pretty freaking weird. Yeah, I you got uh, to see that as well. I did. <laughs> and I've got captions from that second book yeah. because it's so it's so ridiculous. Like the the concept, it's it's like taking a joke you have with your wife and writing it out for somebody else, kind of with no context pumping pumping it up a little bit more than the way it actually happened and then expecting the rest of the world to think that it's funny yeah like talking about you know well you made me pee my pants is not funny yeah or uh oh brenda you make me feel like a peaceful water lily (laughs) i didn't want to get that specific just in case you know uh mr mr em Mr. EM is yeah. watching right now, but um it was weird. I like I don't care. I mean it was weird. It was. Uh, yeah, there's no other way to say it. But he literally would send me like cash in an envelope in the mail, cash in an envelope with wrapped up with like two or three sheets of this normal paper with these drawings on it and said, put these onto my website. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so There'd you're be like offering 200- a scanning service. Pretty much, there'd be like two or three hundred dollars of of cash in the envelope wrapped up with these things, and I'd get them in the mail about once every I don't know three weeks, five weeks in there somewhere, and uh, yeah, so that was you know we all got to start somewhere. I still remember this is this is not your thing, but in that same vein, I remember a guy that uh, Shay and I used to listen to called Drummer Dave, and drummer Dave's song was called I don't want to drink and drive and that was the whole thing and it was basically a drum track and the whole lyric of the song is I don't want to drink and drive I don't want to drink and drive I don't want to drink and drive no more no more that's the whole song that's it so this was this was kind of the cartoon version of drummer Dave (laughs) yeah that was that was weird even with that, like you guys in that same time period, though, you guys started doing e-commerce sites. Like in the early 2000s, there were like that even that really wasn't a thing, but you guys had a bit of a niche for that. And, you know, there's there's companies in in Spruce, like I don't know what the relationship is these days, but you put a number of companies like on the Internet and they were like highly successful selling 
you know, trinkets or selling doodads or, you know, I can't remember all of the, 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 the products that, 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 that came from all the, the various companies, but it was crazy that, you know, you kept asking us to do e-commerce stuff. I'm like, well, but our stuff, we can't really do that. But then starting to watch how these things worked. I mean, that was, that was like groundbreaking, especially for a, you know, you know, Spruce Grove is not exactly Manhattan. Um, you know, to, to be, uh, to be doing that in the early two thousands was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was really interesting. The results that some of those people got and it was, uh, it was cool. Like we ended up part of the strategy was we wanted to go after small business. So we went after all the chambers of commerce, right? So that's, uh, we did their, their websites or website directories and databases and all that kind of stuff, built them systems to run their stuff. Uh, even to be able to do printed directories, like they didn't have a way to automate that. So we built stuff that would do that. Uh, where they could have all their membership and it would populate an online directory and then it would be able to push out into their printed directories. So yeah, there, there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of different things along the way that we've developed and, you know, you just learn, you learn something, some of the stuff works, some of the stuff doesn't take the stuff that does develop it more and uh, throw the rest out. But yeah, over time it's, it's, it's evolved. Our, it's kind of like as the company evolves, what it really is, it's like, as my, capability as a as a person and as a business owner evolves you get bigger better opportunities you learn more things you figure something else out you you go from you know doing a photocopying service for for uh buddy's uh cartoons for cash in the mail to uh doing big stuff like now we're into medical tech which is uh, it's a long ways from where we started i'd say but it, it's a it's a well-earned position I don't feel like we've just lucked into it. It's been 20 some years of, uh, of fighting and clawing and scratching to get here. Well, it even once you put the, like you guys came up with a really cool, um, really cool concept. Um, so your newest venture is called Exodoc, which this is your, this is, you didn't send me any information on this at all. I just had to steal this from your website, but the the concept behind what you're doing with with this new company is is really really cool and it makes so much sense that you know you guys came up like for the first time ever you have a physical product now right yeah i mean since the days of virtutech in like 1995 or 6 yeah so what we did with this pretty much the same thing though you i I don't know why you didn't reincorporate virtutech for this I can't say that it even crossed my mind, but good, good, fair question there. Yeah. But yeah, we took, yeah, we've basically taken all the things that we've done over the years and, uh, and just advanced the tech further and further to the point now where we've got a system that uh, it integrates the hardware and the software side of running a dental clinic. We had, we have been doing development and different programming and stuff like that for, uh, and, 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 and with that, we ended up, so that, there's another thing, like just what a stretch, like why did we have any business even doing that? But we were doing web stuff for people, which included website, email, whatever. Like, oh, you guys know about computers, right? So can you help us with our computers? And we had that happen over and over and over again to the point where it's like, well, I guess we're kind of an IT company now. Like we're doing IT support. I mean, IT outside of the development and stuff we're doing, but IT into like supporting networks and end users and that kind of stuff. So that happened in in the in the course of all this stuff as well. But 
in, in doing that, we moved from the email side of things and, and the web development and all that stuff. As we got more and more onto the tech support and that side of things, we ended up with probably, we started off with like two dentists that we had as part of our, part of our customer base. And then they, we, we fixed our networks and did stuff because we had to run all that stuff, right? If you're doing hosting and you're doing email, you have to run infrastructure. Like we had to run our own hosting and our, all of that stuff. So well, except you, know, you learn how to do in the stuff. beginning though, because you guys would get called into an existing dentist or, you know, the existing dentist would say, Hey, okay, uh, you guys can help me with this. And then you would have to jump in and the, their infrastructure was so bad. Like the cabling wasn't run properly. They didn't have proper like firewalls on their, on their servers. They didn't have proper encryption on their files. And then you guys would have to go in and reconfigure all that stuff. Well, and especially because we were so security focused, having done so much e-commerce stuff, like credit card processing, payment processing, uh, having to secure stuff and secure networks and everything. So yeah, that, that was a, it was a kind of an eye opener because it was something that you'd think is kind of a technically advanced, you know, they use a lot of imaging and scanners and all kinds of stuff in that, in that industry, but man, it was, it was a mess. So yeah, we'd walk in a lot of times and look at it and the first doc we, we were referred and then referred and referred and we just got more and more customers through that, that process that ended up to be dentists. So in, in that kind of, as it evolved, we ended up just learning, I guess, that industry from not just from the technical side, but the other sides of it, like who's who and what does what and how does the clinic work and what are the needs in the clinic? And that was, we liked working with them. They were, they were good people to work with. Because, I mean, when you come from working with the cartoonist at one point in your life to, uh, to you know, you're kind of working your way up and then we're dealing with small businesses and then we're dealing with bigger businesses and then we're dealing with like the chambers of commerce and the people that are that the, the businesses are members of. And then you go to bigger stuff and it, it, it got more with the dentist. It was like more mission critical stuff because if the network didn't work and their stuff didn't work. That was big. And we the, the second customer we got was one of the biggest clinics in Edmonton, one of the biggest clinics in Alberta. And uh, yeah, when they were down for a day, it was, I mean, you're talking almost six figures of lost revenue per day. And that's when we got, when they were down and stuff had happened when we first got introduced to them. So that was, that was the, the start into that, that whole industry. But, but now yeah, you- what we ended up doing is we took the, the, the hardware part of it where you traditionally would have had a server cabinet that's you know six feet tall and it's four feet deep, five feet deep, and three feet wide. One of these monstrosities barely someone, fits in an elevator. Someone may uh, have some experience in moving one of those at one point in time. Wasn't yeah, my drywall in your house, man? I was just payback for the drywall. Yeah, well, like I said, it they don't really fit into an elevator, but they will if you make them. Oh, well, yeah, it took a little force, but we got it into the elevator. Anyway, there was definitely drinking involved that night. Yeah, there was. Yeah. So, like I said, we had to build our own infrastructure at one <laughs> point as well. Colin may have gotten corralled into uh, helping us move some oversized big server racks up through an elevator that they didn't fit in, but we made them fit. So, But now the servers are so small, like they'll fit in any elevator. Well, the funny thing is like on that same thing, that first, that first doctor that we had, the first thing that we built for them, it was a massive, massive monstrosity of a thing, bigger than those cabinets that you and I lifted and 
took through the elevator. And uh, like that was a hundred and I don't know, hundred and some thousand dollars, like 130, I think, to build the very first one. But what it did was it made everything redundant. So there was multiple servers and switches and power supplies, power backups and firewall, like everything had redundancy built into it so that it, it wouldn't go down. And the guy was a pilot. So he's like, build me something that's like my plane. Yeah, I've got two comm systems. I've got two engines. He was flying a, Sene a Seneca twin, and uh, like two, two everything. The fuel systems, the e electrical, everything is redundant, right? He's like, build my network that way because I don't want this ever to happen again. So from that, over the course of many, many years, it evolved and evolved and evolved. That we've got it now down to the size of a, a little bar fridge, which is probably in the neighborhood of. I'm gonna say probably. 10, um, no, it's more than that. It's probably a hundred times more powerful than that huge monstrosity. And it's now fits in a bar fridge. Like it's that small of a cabinet. So, and then we, we built the hardware part of it, but then we also built the software part of it that runs the whole thing, monitors it, lets them know, us know what's going on. And then they can run their, their dental practice management systems on it, their imaging systems, all that kind of stuff. But everything so, is in there, including the phone system that they they get that you guys don't even have to do installs anymore you ship it to them or your partnerships it to them they take it out of the box they mount it they put power to it they connect it to the internet and that's it yeah yeah and that took a while i mean it sounds easy but <laughs> to get it to that stage is uh is uh yeah the good part of it is we, we provide the services with it right so you when you buy the thing as a as a dental clinic, they buy the they buy the system, and we look after their all their IT support for their staff and for that platform. We do all their data backups and local on site to our data center, and then we do all the network security and make sure that everything is kept secure. So yeah, that's that's part of how it's evolved now at this point, where we're really really specialized. Short of uh, one other one guy that doesn't quite fit the mold that we help out with uh, his stuff, and. Uh, that's about it. I don't, but I don't cause a yeah. lot of trouble. No, not at all. No, no, no. And it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's simple stuff. Like, but I, I'm, I'm what's considered now. a legacy account. Yes. But you're the only one because we got rid of all the rest. Yeah. We did. We had a lot of legacy accounts at one point. Yeah. Well, <laughs> pretty interesting that, you know, I'm sitting here, you're sitting there. Um, I don't know that anyone would have ever seen this coming um, from these two guys. One of my favorite pictures ever. That was Cougar um, Creek, was it not? It it certainly was, and it kind of looks like we swam to where we were at. There's, you know, every story. You your hat. I was like, I don't know what happened to that hat. It, it might have not made it off the course that day. <laughs> there's a picture there's a picture from that same day though my my favorite is from a little bit later when i picked a ball up out of a cup and the cup was full of water like and there's you could just see like the stream coming off of my hand that was uh now if I, i'm Some not finest moments. i'm not sure but i think there might have been a drink involved that day too yeah, back in those days, that was uh, that was a pretty heavy focus. 
Why else would you be golfing in the rain? Well, they were functions, right? I mean, it wasn't like we were just out Monday morning. That was uh, that was that the was Spruce Grove Saints. Oh, that was the Saints. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that was fun though. Well, again, as far as adventures, I don't even know what the rest of these are because you sent a couple of these and I threw a couple of these up. Let's see if you can uh, tell the stories behind. Huh? If we can place them. The time and the place. Oh, well, that looks like the 2012 Indy if I look at the... Uh... <laughs> very, very was fun good. Though, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. They were all fun. That was uh, that was that was a very similar circumstance. I think there was a fair amount of people and partying and whatever involved in that, but it's good times. I'm not sure that that's the same. Those young whippersnappers. Yeah, somebody's pretty sunburned. Twenty twelve. So that's eleven years. What the, that's one of the indies. Like not. IndyCar, but the Indianapolis 500. Yeah, there's a little midget in the middle, so he makes us look pretty tall. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's one more, which is a different year. Yeah. Same midget, yeah, same orientation. Yeah, that's right. We have to stay in, the, in our formation, I think, there. Yeah, that was, once we decided, I still have those shoes. I never wear them anymore, but for some reason, they're still in my closet. I love those shoes. I think mine are long gone. Well, probably. That um, in in all my life, in all my thoughts, in all my you know my wildest dreams, I never would have imagined that a I would attend the Indy Five Hundred in person. B, I would attend in conjunction with a driver. C, attend to the point that I had carte blanche with every yellow jacket on the place, could walk through the motorhome lot, which is pretty much the hardest place to get into other than some of the areas of the uh, Pagoda. 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 Yeah. Um, you know, walking on pit road. I mean, you were there. You saw the whole thing. And, you know. So got the then, pin. You know, they give you the pin. And then you can walk all over the damn place. You got the, I didn't cause I had a hard card. You had, um, Oh yeah. You had the, the second, other one. Yeah. The second, second or third times I had the card, like the ID card or whatever. Yeah. Uh, before that, they just give you the, the pin to go on the thing. On yeah. The lanyard. So, yeah. well, and even that, <laughs> that's still one of the funniest stories that will never, ever, 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 ever be able to do justice was our, our cab driver. driver. Yeah. The only thing, the only thing that I'll ever need to say to you in any situation, in any, without any context at all, as long as I just go, man, yeah, that's it. That was the greatest cab driver in the entire world. He was a legit, wasn't he a comedian or he wanted to be a comedian or whatever? No, he, was. Actually he, was. he said he did stand-up sets. Right. Yeah. 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 That guy was funny, man. That was like so and that was like he picked us up at what like five o'clock in the morning. Yeah, we went out that night and 
ended up at a venue very close proximity to Lucas Oil Stadium. We were walking out of the establishment about 3 a.m. When he picked us up, it turns out we were only like three blocks from the hotel, but we didn't know it. So he drops us off and we say, hey, man, you were great. Like, you were awesome. We didn't even talk to the guy and said, hey, we've got to leave at like five o'clock. Can you come back and get us? And he's like, yeah, for sure. I'll come and get you. And we were like the the biggest sacks of crap the next morning. Like it was, you know, trying to wake you up in the morning was like tough. We were still polluted and then hung over and then tired. We go to the, we get into his car and he's complaining because there's supposed to be like private lanes and there's supposed to be like taxi only almost like police escort, but not quite. And we're stuck in traffic and he's telling these stories about how he likes fat chicks and he likes that like man and I'm a stand-up comedian and like and just the only time we laughed like that was like the next year or two years when we went to the race with Pat oh yeah 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 the hairdresser the hairdresser because yeah. that was that was equally hilarious in the police escort line and getting getting all that and then you know especially getting to uh uh detour back in carmel after the race the little pub when he, when he educated us on his bypass <laughs> the first time i ever heard that term and it's uh and it's still there so um yeah just good times yeah yeah it was yeah that's a lot of a lot of good stuff around the racing i mean it was uh thing that we both always liked racing in cars and all that kind of stuff so it uh that was kind of a naturally fun thing to go do for sure i still do still do i still do i did uh i don't know how many races i did last year between nascar's 13 events between the i don't know 10 or 12 go-kart events did lots of racing last year and probably do more this year that's good i've been working Actually, I did quite a bit of traveling last winter. My oldest daughter and I, you know, we were in, went to Panama and uh, Panama and Costa Rica and then uh, back up through Mexico. And I was gone for about six weeks, give or take. So that was kind of fun. What part of Mexico? Like we did. Yeah, some of, some of it with her. And then she stayed in Costa Rica and did a little bit more exploring when I came back. And then Mexico. And then she met us in Mexico and we did another little tour around there so they have tequila. That was nice. What's that? they have tequila there now they do they do i hear yeah. that uh pretty popular drink with the mexican people it um yeah it takes a little getting used to but uh not the worst thing in the world true yeah true i just realized yeah, the background hasn't been on this whole time so sorry about that everyone what hasn't been on my background Oh, I didn't even know it was there before. Rainbows? Oh, nothing. Yeah, whatever. Can you make it do that thing like you did before? Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Oh, <laughs> I don't know what the... I did something, and then it turned into fireworks. I don't know. I don't know what the... 
don't know. I've had magic hand gestures the last couple of weeks and we had balloons. And then, yeah, as you and I were talking before we went on, I did something with my hands. I know it was like this. Fireworks exploded around his head. And the fireworks were there, but I, I don't know how to. It looked way more impressive when the fireworks came on. It it really did. And and this one, for anyone who's actually listening on like Spotify or, you know, Apple podcasts, um, it makes no sense. I don't know that it did even before we started this. Uh, yeah, not, I mean, it makes perfect sense to us, but, um, anything else you want to throw at us, Mr. Stafford? I've, I've kept you. I know you have another obligation coming up here in a few minutes. Yeah, I got a few minutes, but yeah, I I mean, not too much else. I mean, it's been a, been an interesting journey. That's for sure. That, uh, interesting that you wanted me on the podcast at some point. I was, wasn't exactly sure what you wanted to talk about, but. I've thought about different times that getting to a stage in life and in business to uh, to start helping other people do the same kind of thing. Um, there's a lot of stuff you learn along the way. And if I had known when I was in my 20s what I know now when I'm pushing 50, it, uh, it, it would have saved a lot of time. And there's a lot of lessons there. So I don't know in what format I'll be able to, uh, to help people with that. but it is something that's on my radar for sure. The problem is, and I'll speak for myself is yes, there's absolutely a million lessons that have been learned that had I known them at an earlier age would have saved a lot of nonsense. I think somebody at some point probably tried to tell me those lessons. And I said, I'm going to do it my way. Um, You're an old bastard wearing a pink tie. And um, you know, to hell with you. So there's like, it, it's super frustrating because, you know, like you, I do want to help people. I get, I get requests kind of all the, I shouldn't say kind of all the time, very, very, very frequently that someone will send me a note randomly or pick up the phone and say, Hey, I want to pick your brain about something. Sure. Come on by. Then you never hear from them again. Like you didn't eat, you like, I don't know what it was that you wanted to talk about. I don't know what it is I could have possibly offered you, but I was more than willing to do it. And you weren't even willing to put the time in to come here to even talk about it. Even if I was wrong, or even if, you know, whatever, it's like, it's very, very strange that, you know, people do that an awful lot. Like, Hey, Hey, I want to talk to you about, I got this opportunity and I want to run it past you. Sounds good. I heard a I heard a guy interesting. Uh, you know Bradley. He has a podcast. He had uh, having a couple of drinks with him one night in a bar in Vegas, and he's uh, he's a bunch of people around him because he's kind of semi famous or whatever. And he's like, somebody said, "Hey, I really want to ask you about uh, whatever it is about the like his company. He's kind of in the tech space as well." Um, guy goes, "Yeah, I want to ask you about whatever." And he's like, "Are you asking because you want to know?" Or are you just asking to ask? Like, it's like you would have no idea how many people come up and ask. They never, they never do anything. And everyone's like, I don't even waste my breath talking to them at this point. Yeah. But I think you have to get to a certain stage. And when you get to a certain stage, like you, I, you can't take Joe Blow off the street and say, here's the lessons that you need to learn. I mean, sure you could. 
they're not going to do anything with them. There's a certain amount of shit a guy's just got to go through in his life. And until you've gone through that, it's just, it's going to be irrelevant to you. Like you have no frame of, of reference to know what it's like to scrape together money to make payroll or to not be able to pay the rent in your business or your lease. Or to have to sweet talk, talk, sweet talk CRA to not shutting down your bank accounts or to talk to the power company or to, you know, the million things that people have to do that, you know, most guys, most people are really too timid to talk about that stuff because they, they're afraid that it makes them seem weak or unsuccessful or, you know, it makes you a target or it's like, Every business has gone through something, maybe not to that level, but they've gone through something and and we need to talk about this stuff. But the, the idea of being able to offer advice or be able to mentor someone, the only one you can do that for is someone who asked for it. Like it's never something where you can just grab someone and say, Hey, I'm going to teach you about this stuff. It's, it's, you know, like trying to, trying to reform an alcoholic until they're ready to put the bottle down. They're never going to do it. You can, you can give them every rational argument in the world. They're not going to want to do it until they want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's, there's only a certain amount of people. Like you think about the amount of people in business, I think they say about 8% of the population will ever start a business. And then out of that 8%, you get less than 1% of the 8% that will last beyond that three to five year mark or whatever. And then from that to ever hit a million dollars, it's even a smaller fraction. So there's not many people that have the stones to do it. it it's not easy, right? I mean, if you're not willing to get punched in the face a hundred times over and over and over again and still get up and still keep doing it, forget it. Like It's not for you. And it's not for everybody. And I don't tell people, I don't talk down on people. Like I, I envy people a lot of times that have a good job that have a good opportunity and work with a good company because the amount of stress, like if I think about like back over the years, got four kids, three daughters and a son. And the amount of time I spent probably the first uh, 10 years in business, I probably did, I probably averaged 14 to 16 hour days. And your days was was typically like, like, 2 p.m. to 6 a.m. Yeah, a lot of times. Well, I mean, for a while they were like that, but I mean, a lot of times it was like 8 a.m. to midnight, 8 a.m. till 2 p.m. That kind of stuff. But yeah, it's it's not a it's it's not like I said before. Not for the week. Sometimes, sometimes you definitely have to be willing to punch a guy in the back of the head. Sometimes that is exactly what it takes. Once in a while, you know, I'll I'll tell you, unfortunately, it even holds true in the dental industry. Sometimes that's, that's what it takes. You do run across the odd, uh, the odd character that uh, has never actually been in a physical confrontation. And when they run their mouth a little bit and they find out somebody isn't going to take that, it uh, can have an interesting outcome. (laughs) That's when it's time to punch some skull. Well, you know. Do what you got to do sometimes. I'm not no, a violent I mean, person. If you punch them in the face, they can see it coming. Like it's only fair to punch them in the back of the head so that, you know, they don't have that moment of anticipation. Well, I mean, if you think of it, you're probably saving them the 
agony of seeing what's coming. Hundred percent. So I guess that would make sense. Absolutely. I mean, I'm it's kind of, uh, like symbolically, there's also a fireplace over your left shoulder. So, you know, the fire pit, the punch to the back of the head, like it's all, it's all, it's all right there. Yeah, it happens. I've heard about it. Things happen when you're 17, 16. I I was the one that punched myself in the head more than more than once, you know, by you know, removing big quantities of brain cells in a night. So Yeah, I remember a few of those for sure. I don't. Yeah. That's the beauty of it, isn't it? Yep. That's uh, you know, uh, the the John Daly um philosophy is like i feel bad for people who don't drink because when they wake up that's as good as they're going to feel all day i guess that's one way to look at it yeah he also said that uh you know caffeine and nicotine are like protein to my body champion athlete 20 20 thing is to make it to the top of your game doing that imagine how good he would have been oh maybe he would have done nothing if he wasn't alcoholics he was he was who he was and he made the moves that he made and he won two majors like he he won the open championship he won the pga like yeah guy did did more than most guys so but did he golf in the fuzzies golf tournament at the indy 500 (laughs) he could have been there i don't know i don't know that was how that night with the taxi driver started yeah, yeah, that was, wasn't it? And to be fair, you and I didn't play in the Fuzzies Vodka tournament. No, we were, uh, that was like a pro-am thing, right? Because remember Tito Ortiz was there, the UFC guy. Which I didn't and know that, who uh, was. And then there's that Zach, whatever his name is. I can't remember what his last name is. And I didn't know who that was. There were two tournaments at the Brickyard Crossing, and it was Fuzzies Vodka that was there before our tournament. And right. we just happened to help ourselves to all of the refreshment tables and, you know, the, uh, the, the hostesses and more of the hospitality tables so that by the time we got to the, uh, I don't know, hole, it was, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. But to my credit, um, still one longest putt and longest drive. I remember when we tried to take your prize home on the in the airport. <laughs> it's like a big sign, like I'm the long drive champion of the people who played after the tournament. Well, we were in a tournament. I still got, I still Are got we? the tournament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were in. Um, different it was the uh, Sam Schmidt uh, tournament. Was after oh, fuzzies, and um, yeah, still. I, I mean, I still won a driver, and I I can't remember what the other prize was, but yeah, the the, the signage didn't go over so well. Yeah, they frowned upon that at the airport for some reason. Well, but now now I have status though. If I if we could do that again, I'd be able to work it out with Air Canada, no problem. Yeah, they'd uh, put it up front with the pilots or something. Something, they would do something for sure. That's good. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to uh, we'll have to hit up another one of these at one point. Go a little deeper on some of the uh, some of the interesting points. I don't know that we had a single. I mean, you had lots of interesting points. I'm not sure that I had a single interesting question or a single interesting uh, point myself. But um, 
you know, excellent, excellent guest, excellent story. I, you know, this is really what we're trying to do here is, you know, drill down and get behind the scenes of these things that you maybe see, but you don't understand, or, you know, um, kind of see the story, but you don't really know what the, what the details are. So, um, you know, that's, that's awesome. Um, obviously welcome back here anytime. Um, I know you still have a few minutes if you want You're we could flip it around. You could be the host and you can ask all the questions you want, or you can tell all the stories. If you feel like, uh, being a bus chucker, you, now's your time. What's your, yeah. You know what? I got like, uh, five minutes. I got a six thirty. What if, what, from all the stuff you've gone through in your 2001 to today, 2001 Colin to today Colin, what would you say is the most, the biggest lesson that has maybe stuck with you or has like made the biggest difference in who you are compared to who you were then? I'm going to take up the entire five minutes, I'm afraid. I, I think because... I'll give you the credit. I'm, you can't see what I'm looking at, but I've got my TV here with all of my TV cameras and I'm looking kind of into my backyard where you and I had a fairly heated conversation at one point in time without going into, and it's not really about that, but that laid the groundwork for another conversation that you and I had outside of original Joe's several years later, where you kind of saw, I was going down a bad road. I mean, I, I don't want to make excuses, but there was a lot of stuff that, that was going on with my family, not my, you know, not my at the time wife or my kids, but my parental family that was really weighing on me. And it was causing me to make a lot of bad decisions. And it was causing me to, to replicate a lot of behaviors that I learned. And, you know, and it was, uh, you know, I was, I was drinking too much. I was, you know, you know, it was just, it was out of control. And, and through you introduced me to, um, you know, to, a to a person, um, you know, again, I'm, I'm not sure if she wants to be talked about publicly or not, but, um, who introduced me to a new way of thinking and, and, and gave me a very, a much better awareness of who I am and how people perceive me and, and, you know, really gave me a set of eyes that I never ever had before because things that I never really would have been aware of. She made me hyper aware of like the idea at the time. And even to this day, it's not natural for me to think, but the idea that most people avoid conflict that's something that didn't make a shred of sense to me whatsoever because like, well, but, but arguing is kind of fun and it's, you know, it's harmless. And, you know, like it was just natural for me to not, not only engage, but to seek it. So, you know, if you said that the sky was blue, I knew the sky was blue, but I was going to convince you that it was red. If you were, you know, I, I was maybe a conservative, but if you said you were conservative, I would sit there and I would find ways to argue with somebody's point of view to see how well they actually could defend it. Did they actually believe in what they were saying or did they just say the thing? So like, it was a really, really combative way to exist. And I didn't know it. I didn't know that there was another way. And, and, you know, working with, you know, who I'll just, I'll just uh, deem as my coach um, really, really turned the tides like to where, 
everyone has a reaction to conflict and the two reactions you have are fight or flight. I actually started to embrace the flight part of it where it's like, you know what? It's just not worth my time. Like I want to tell you you're wrong. I want to show you that you're wrong, but you're not worth it. And I was able to walk away with that. I actually learned that there's maybe a third way, which is talking and negotiating and, you know, actually sitting down and listening to what someone's point of view is empathizing with their point of view, even though if you don't, you don't necessarily agree with it. And then just agreeing to disagree. And, um, you know, that was probably, I mean, it's not a single moment, but that was probably the single biggest transformation that ever happened. I don't always live by the, by the, you know, the lessons, but I, I always try and move back to center. Um, and I've got a feeling for it now. Like I've got a hyper awareness, like even right now, uh, when I do a job interview, when I'm interviewing someone here, or I'm, I'm talking to someone, I'm always aware to lay back and to be on the passive side of things, because I know when I lean in and I get a little bit forward, this concept of energy and this concept of how, you know, people will perceive, like I could say a thing in a certain way with the most sincerely good intention in the world. And someone can take it the wrong way because they feel it instead of hearing it, where someone can say something completely passive aggressive and be a complete dick about it. And someone will kind of feel like, wow, that was the nicest thing in the world because they, because there wasn't a lot of energy behind it. So those are the kinds of things that, like I said, that that's, uh, that's probably a game changer for me too. Yeah. In in the lesson, the biggest thing I learned from her, again, it was the same thing. Like you and I have overlapping personalities in some respects, right? Where yours is a type and a subtype and mine is your subtype and main type. So it, my subtype is your main one. So it's kind of like, when he said we introduced to a new way of thinking, we're not talking about Scientology here. We're uh, we're just looking at a, a psychological profiling system that allows you to kind of see people's personalities and and interact with them in a more effective way. But she taught me things that I had no idea that I was doing, and I did them for years. And it was just such a huge blind spot that I didn't. I just didn't know. And then once she starts to shine the light on it a little bit, because her background was as a psychologist and clinical therapist i think she was right but then she took it into business coaching was that my biggest part of my personality was to be able to follow up follow through stuff and not procrastinate on stuff like great ideas you'd figure this out do this or whatever but then when it came time to do it didn't want to do it it wasn't fun anymore yeah and then when you see that okay well that has consequences your biggest issue, like getting back to that personality type, and this isn't like a, a bus chuck, you would have 20 projects, 95% completed, but you would never take the yeah. time to finish any one of them because it was always the next thing. And it's like, well, I'll get back to that. Da, 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 da. And I know that that was a big thing to, to get squared away huge. because, you know, you've got 20 projects, 95% done. You've got nothing. Yeah, you've got zero things done. Correct. Yeah. You need to. We didn't start moving forward until that. Like, that was, I mean, I was spinning my wheels for a long time with this huge blind spot. And then you look back and, you know, she brought up, I mean, being a a psychologist or whatever, she brought up stuff from like when you're a kid and you're like, oh, how was your childhood? Oh, it was great. Yeah, it was was good. And then she's like, yeah, but was it? 
you know, like what lessons did you learn? Like what was ingrained in you? What was, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff there to unpack. I mean, that's a whole episode on its own. (laughs) That would be an interesting one to go down the rabbit hole a little bit on that one. I'm sure we could get her on board too. Yeah. (laughs) I haven't talked to her for years, so. It's been a while for me too. I mean, we just don't, we don't rely on that anymore because we've learned our lessons, but um, you know, my, my, you know, I, I, it's not that I don't, it's just that I haven't. Yeah. 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 Well, it was good. I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad you asked. I appreciate you uh, inviting me on. We'll have to do it again one day and maybe I'll have a podcast in the future that I can return the favor and uh, bring up a few things. Do whatever, like I said, I'll talk about anything. I don't give a shit. Um, you know, not because like, like, That's I mean, I, I won't throw anyone under the bus and I won't, you know, yeah. intentionally embarrass someone. But uh, if you want to do a podcast, I can connect you with our friends here at Cryer Media. Uh, Cryer Media is the best. There, I said it. Um, that was my my uh, throwback tribute to uh, to the, the the old bear commercial about Chef Perry and how he'd always do a product placement on uh, on his little radio cooking show. Uh, there, you know, uh, Johnny's baked beans are the best. There, I said it. Uh, so what you do is you take your recipe, throw it in the gra- garbage, crack yourself a beer, and chug it. I'm Chef Perry, and that was cooking with Chef Perry. Loved it. Very nice. Um, you need Very to get to the episode. Thing. Um, I will let you go here. I'll do a little sign off and uh, I'll probably send you a text here in a bit. Next time we do this, we should do it in person and just have a conversation because we're long overdue for that as well. Absolutely. Sounds good to me. Thanks again. Okay, man. Thanks for being here. Okay. We'll talk to you again soon. You bet. Ah, I love being able to do stuff like that. So many great stories, so many great people out there. Um, and everyone's got a story. I don't care if it's, you know, personal friend, if it's, you know, someone that I've come across, um, you know, those are the, those are the things that I've, I've been able to learn over my time on this earth is, you know, especially working with that coach, uh, now that Jody's got me thinking about that, that, you know, uh, it's amazing what you can learn when you just shut up and ask a question and actually listen to what the person has to say. Uh, it's what, you know, really it was probably the, 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 the thing that made me a decent salesperson in the beginning, because I didn't spend a lot of time trying to talk about products. I listened to where problems were, and then I tried to offer solutions, but uh, we're already an hour and a half into this thing. I'm going to wrap this up. We will be back. I think next week I need to confirm, but I'm going to have my friend uh, George from Envision. They're the people that uh, uh, are behind the scenes here at Cryer Media. uh, And they've also uh, been the ones to reconfigure the, our, our website here at cantork.com, which went live uh, just the other day. Uh, so looking forward to having George on here, uh, but uh, tune in next week. And uh, for everyone, you know, thanks for watching.
Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100% because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.